Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the special edition, the Special Vision 2020 Live on Purpose edition of the Speaker Series, where we interview some of America's most talented, most elite men and women who have served this country and others who have just done some pretty phenomenal things. And I will say that uh, our guest today is no exception to that. He's no exception to storms either. And the reason why we've got uh, Captain Bill on is because he's faced many storms. And we're going to dig into that a little bit on this series today. But uh, Captain Wild Bill from the hit Discovery Channel show, Deadliest Couch, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Bill, I want to give people a little bit of background on you so that you don't have to belabor who you are. And then we'll kind of jump into it. But, you know, as I look at uh, when you graduated and then you joined the Navy, which is my alma mater as well. So thank you, fellow sailor shipmate. And when your service in the military ended, you kind of got attracted to the big bunny earned in king crab fishing. Is that correct? Exactly right. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit before we dive into that, because I really want to dive into your whole experience as a whole and really discussing the issue of storms. And the reason storms, Bill, is you've seen your fair share of them, natural storms, but certainly emotional storms as well. And I think in today's world where, you know, we've got this pandemic, we've got people facing many different issues, emotionally, physically, spiritually even, um, I think it's a pretty important topic, but talk to me, what, what attracted you to the Navy? Well, as a kid, I was from Western Pennsylvania. We always sport fish, we hunted, and we would vacation on the Eastern seaboard. And from like the age of six, I sat on the sandy beach and looked out at the ocean and said, somehow, some way, I will live and work on the ocean. Mm. And um, that was the bug that was planted. And I'm the youngest of three and my two brothers went to college and I was slated to go to business administration college in Slippery Rock. And oddly enough, homecoming night, I wrecked my dad's brand new car. And my mm. dad was a Marine DI from Paris Island from the Korean War. Yeah. So he was not a very <laughs> forgiving individual, so to speak. Yeah. But so actually with this love of the water and knowing I had to take responsibility for what I did, I skipped school on a Monday and went and met with a recruiter, recruiter and brought home the paperwork Monday evening and asked him to sign because I wasn't quite 18 yet. So, and his comment was, what, you didn't have what it takes to be in the Marines. And I just kind of took that for a grain of salt and uh, off I went a few months later. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Well, I, uh, I didn't wreck my dad's car. So the movie, you know, Top Gun came out. That's what compelled me to get in. <laughs> so a little different scenario, but so... Talk to us a little bit about the lessons you learned in the Navy. Was it kind of a natural progression for you to go from Navy and then king crab fishing? I mean, what, what experiences in the Navy did you learn that helped you in that transition? Well, you know what the Navy taught me was to diagnose systems, look at something that I have no clue what it does and how it does it, and trace it out, figure out, start to finish, what's involved with the operation. Just Let's just say a saltwater washdown pump. Yeah. Um, it can start at one part of the ship and end up at various other parts of the ship. And if you turn it on at the wrong time with the wrong valves, you can, you can put water where it's not supposed to go. So you, before you pushed any buttons, you really had to know what you had to do. And when I first started crab fishing, it was such a profitable sport that if you weren't a lifelong friend or a family member, it was really hard to get a job because the money was, it was crazy in the beginning. Yeah. So, but what I'm, what I came out of the Navy with was the ability to walk onto these boats, which were obviously smaller than the Navy ships, but 
they all had the similar systems. You know, you had power generation, you had gray water, you had fresh water, you know, you had uh, propulsion, reduction gears, ventilation, you had all the same things. So it enabled me to go on board and figure out how this thing operates. And the big thing with crab fishing, it was a derby. So if hmm. there was ever a, a breakdown, it could cost you your whole season. So to only push the button at the right time and know quickly, hopefully what, when something went wrong, how to repair it or have the brains to put it back together made me invaluable. So it, it shot me to the top pretty quickly. So my training is what put me in the, into the boat and my knowledge is what put me in the wheelhouse. No kidding. So, and that progression was pretty fast. Is that correct? I mean, up to the top. I could have actually been in the wheelhouse after two years, but oddly enough, I worked with some of the best guys in Alaska. Yeah. And on deck as an engineer, I was making two or three times the money of the guys that were on smaller, less productive boats. So I, I stayed on some of the Highliners for probably an extra five, six years. And, you know, it just perfected my skill. And it was, it was so imperative not to make mistakes. And that's, you know, to this day, I, I think about everything three times before I push the button. You know, it's, yeah, that stemmed from that training. And my dad was a DI, so he was always about leadership. And you have to be a leader on these boats because it's a tough bunch of guys. You don't have to be real smart to be a crabber. Yeah. But you have to be able to control these fellas and, you know, get them to do what you need to do. So yeah. wear a lot of hats. I think, you know, what I love what you just said, you know, check something three times. You know, we always had that check, double check, recheck, right? You know, it was that, you know, be sure that you do it right. Because if you don't, it could cost a life. I mean, you know, the teams that uh, I was a part of, I was assigned to EOD team. And, and you know, we're like, either get it right or you don't know any different, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty extreme in that scenario. And I think one of the things that I want our audience to know is as we navigate these storms in life today, economic storms, emotional storms, mental storms, is that ability to just really pause and understand how to navigate. And I think that's a big piece of what, uh, of, of what you bring to this conversation, too. And, and I, you know, Bill, there's this big, you know, saying going around, I'm sure you've heard it, that, you know, you know we're all in the same storm, different boats, Right. Uh, and, you know, I think that's applicable to the show that you're on, you know, Deadliest Catch, which I'm a fan of that show. Love that show. Um, I always question, you know, what's real drama, what's not drama. But at the end of the day, you know, when I see the seas and you guys in those seas, I, for sure, no, I would not survive. <laughs> I mean, those things are, I mean, the storms that you face. So talk to me a little bit. And you face them, it seems like every show almost you face some sort of storm. So how do you get your mind right to face these type of storms? Because you're, you're dealing with crew issues, you're dealing with physical natural issues, and you're the captain and you've got to lead amongst all of this. How do you get your mind right? How do you prepare for it? You know, it's, to this day, I don't, I don't sleep very much. So I, you know, I'm three, four hours a day and I'm awake and there's times that my crew jokes that my day is always a 32 hour day and we usually work 32 hours before we take a break. And for me, the hard part is you have to push these guys to their limit, but you can't break them. Yeah. So there's a lot of deciding, you know, how bad the weather is, how, how tired are they? How, and 
if we're productive, they'll go 10 times harder, faster than if we're hauling, you know, lousy pots, blanks. Yeah. So it's all, you have to take all this into account because if you hurt one guy, I have a workforce of five, essentially you're down 20%. Maybe mm-hmm. not in real numbers because some guys are way more valuable than others, but uh, it's, if you make a mistake and put the boat into a wave, a wave comes over, one or two guys get banged up. It can be financially devastating. If you have to go into town, it costs you time, it costs you fuel, it costs you extra insurance days. So every minute of every day is a calculated risk that you have to assess and come up with a plan. It's, it's mind-boggling sometimes what, what happens because when the, the crew morale's down, if you have one guy that's not cutting it, he'll drag the other guys down. So you have to try to figure out a way to keep everything moving and and again, these guys all have strong personalities or they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So you have to maintain control too. So, but honestly, with my mechanical background and my ability, I've been on these boats for a long time, for 40 plus years. And if something breaks, a lot of times I'll smell something and tell the guys, get on stairs. This, is, this isn't right. This yeah. is closed. And I can tell what pump it is because I can hear it, you know, and they're just, I mean, I get a lot of respect that way just for my knowledge of boats. Yeah. So you've got good situational awareness because time and, you know, time and service, so to speak. But what is there, Bill, is there anything that you do? Because we've been asked this question, like, you know, never faced a storm before, or we never faced, you know, this economic downfall before thing, you know, and people are wondering, are there things that people who face many storms, or is there a ritual? Is there a habit? Is there a practice? Is there like, you get up in the morning, you go, you know what, the first thing I do in the morning before my feet hit the ground is, you know, I drink a sip of water and I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, is there, how do you, how do you trigger yourself into facing what you know you will likely have to face that day? Is, is there some ritual that you have or do you just get up and go, man, I'm going for it? Well, I don't know. For me, it's, and again, it's might've been for my dad indirectly. It's life's full of hurdles. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you go over them, through them or around them, you have to run the race. So, and I'm kind of a worst case scenario guy, if that makes any sense. Yeah. When we're going into a situation, I always think, what is the worst that can happen? Not that I'm a pessimist. Yeah. If in fact the worst happens, I've already thought about the response to get through it. So I'm always looking at worst case scenarios every day and it just prepares me if we do have something that doesn't go correctly. Yeah. See, I love that attitude. I think that's, that's a game changer if people can get there. Like, you know, can I survive the worst thing? Right. I mean, that's, you know, and if so, how so? And if I can deal with that, then everything else on top is almost cherry. So even in driving, I mean, think about it. We're on the boat about half the year now. It used to be more. When I drive, I am so defensive. Every time I come to a stop, I'm I'm not daydreaming. I'm looking in the mirror to see how fast that guy's front end is dipping behind me if he's yeah. going to stop. And yeah. I've saved myself from collisions at least a half dozen times in the last three or four years. You know, I've gone off to the side of the road and the guy hits the car in front of me. I mean, it's just, you yeah. just, you know, you got to be on your toes at all times. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I, I don't think I've lost uh, some of that habit of driving either. I, my daughters are like, dad, I don't think we should probably follow your lead on the driving thing. I'm like, yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably not. So there's an episode coming up June 2nd. And I know this is probably dear to your heart. Uh, it, it's talking about 
you know, the, the, the Scandies Rose, the crew on the Scandies Rose and kind of showcasing that and, and, you know, the Coast Guard and their interaction. Um, and, you know, having spent 14 years up in Alaska, I, I remember all the time, you know, the Coast Guard would go out, you know, especially Bering Sea. I mean, you know, it's a pretty vicious sea and you've, you'd have those massive ocean, you know, freighters that, you know, would be upended. I mean, just crazy stuff. And how did you talk to us a little bit about what people can expect on this June 2nd show and how, I mean, that's got to be life-changing. I mean, you've probably had many life-changing moments, but how do you deal with things that are pretty traumatic? You know, Sig and I had a conversation the other day and he, we started a, a similar time in life and he was a little younger than me. He had a better end than I did. But uh, back then we'd, we'd lose four or five boats a season sometimes and we were all Ironmen. We were invincible. We were young and dumb and the excitement, the danger, plus the the income. I mean, we made better money back then. And you know what the dollar's worth now compared to then? Yeah. It was just, we, we took it. You know, it was all part of the game. But lately, as we get older and we've tightened up on the safety and we have fewer accidents, incidents, it means so much more because, you know, I think we've all slowed down and plus uh, it isn't that wild west anymore. It's, it's a little more controlled and tame and it just, it's it, to have any boat goes down is horrible to have, you know, friendship with the guys on board, which we pretty much do with almost every boat. I mean, there's only yeah. so many boats up there doing it, but this whole thing about lost at sea, again, we're, nobody's insulated from it. We're, we're all potentially the next victim. So, yeah. yeah, it hurts to lose a friend, but at some point you sit back and go, wow, what if it was me and my boat? How many guys could I save off my crew? Or, you know, what would happen? You know, how would my friends and family be affected? You know, so it, it circles back. You have the pain of the loss, then you have the pain of the potential loss because we're all part of this game. Yeah, yeah. It's and that's apropos to today's time too, Bill. I think because you know I think there's people that you know are having economic loss, or certainly having loved ones that are lost, right? That they can't even hold them, touch them, feel them, etc. Because of what's going on in this pandemic, and you know the emotional toll it takes, you know, mental health, etc. But coming out of that, and I, I just want I just want you to speak for just a moment because I know we're coming up on time. On how did you get yourself through it? Was because you talk about that loss and it's hard, but how did you, because some people never recover. So how did you recover? You know, as I said, I've been at this 40 years plus yeah. and I've been through it countless times. The hardest part for me was knowing that I had two, um, basically three crew members that were close with almost the entire crew. Maybe I've just gotten hardened over the years, but my pain was more for those guys than it was for the loss that I was experiencing because these guys are younger and they haven't been around the, the vessels lost at sea. Is I mean, in the beginning, we were, it was bad. That's where, that's where the name came from. Yeah. You know, we were the highest mortality rate of any occupation in the world for a lot of years. And, and my one guy, my number two guy, was supposed to, he had trouble with the number, my number one guy during the summer, and he was going to leave and go back. And he used to work on that boat. So that's how close he was with those guys. He was wow. going to go back. He could have essentially been on board. So when I broke the news to the guys and I saw the look on his face, I could just 
basically read his mind. You know, one, he lost his friends and he lost his mentor. You know, this guy taught him a lot. You know, over the years, Gary did, the captain. He knew Gary's son. Gary's son was on board. Gary lost his own son during the thing with his own life. And mm. I mean, Art, the engineer, it's, I mean, he had retired and come back. And it's just, I don't know, it's the hard part is, you know, I know it's part of our job to recap this stuff and go over it, but sometimes you want to let it just yeah. pass. Yeah, let it go. Yeah, there's, I think there's there's risk and reward in everything that we do. And, and sometimes some are greater than others, like, you know, the profession that you've chosen. And, and Bill, I just got to say, you know, I want people to plug into the show because there's so many life lessons that are learned on this show. I mean, not only is it pretty captivating, uh, you know, and pretty wild. I mean, you know, my youngest daughter loves this show. <laughs> She's 14. Uh, and I said, she can't go in that profession, but she could certainly be a flight surgeon, you know, for uh, for the Navy. So, um, but it, there's so many life lessons there. And I think, you know, when people plug into the show, you know, the deadliest catch and they see you, I think they'll probably see you in a different light. You know, I know that, you know, we always make people look bigger, stronger, matter. And, and from my, my understanding is you fit all those anyway, but certainly over time, you've probably softened and become kind of that wise leader. And I want people to, to really understand how you gained that mindset over time, which, you know, as I looked at your bio, it said you started out really rough and tough and et cetera, and, but have mild, you know, have become more mild over the years. And I think that's wisdom. Um, and maybe not, uh, but how do people follow you? Because I know you've got things to share. So, I mean, you got a Twitter account, you got a Facebook, do you have any of that or, Bill, yeah, we got it. We got, we got all that. I mean, we're all across the board in social media, which is I'm like 63 years old and I have a Twitter account. I mean, it's <laughs> sounds. And what's really weird is I don't sleep very much. Yeah. A lot of times I'll get up in the middle of the night and I'll pick up my phone. And if it's interesting banter or questions, I answer people directly. I'm, and as far as the show goes, I don't do any hoopla. You know, I don't. Uh, I will occasionally repeat something that wasn't heard or said, but you're not, you don't find me with a script in my hand making stuff up. There's enough stuff that happens on these boats. It's an exciting, dangerous enough job that, in fact, it kind of bothers me when people are like, oh my God, this is like days of our lives or something, you know, and I'm, I just want to stand up and scream bullshit. This is what it's yeah. like on the Bering Sea. Yeah, yeah. That's a no joke sea. I mean, that is, I mean, if people don't understand Alaska, I mean, that is, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's just one sea that, that that the brave certainly go to, and and you know my wife. Most people don't know this, but my wife, uh, her uncle fished that sea, and we actually lost him out to sea. They never found him. Yeah, the, the Bering Sea goes from thousands of fathoms deep up to where we fish in forty fathoms, and there's huge tides, so you have that much water flowing in and out against the wind, with the wind. It gets yeah. ugly. It's where weather is born, basically. Yeah, that is crazy. So, Captain Bill, how do they find you? What's what's your Twitter handle? What uh, do you know? Captain Law Bill. Okay. All right. Good. I can follow you there. I want people to plug into the show June second. I know that plug into the show period, but the big episode on June second. I know Phil and I were talking about that, and uh, just kind of the the interaction of of how the Coast Guard plays a role in what you guys do too, and oftentimes they're side by side what you guys do. So. Um, so important. Anything, uh, any one big takeaway you want uh, listeners to get from you, Bill? The Coast Guard is our last hope. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know what? That's self-reliance, and I, and I do love that, and I think that's got to be so important. I mean, it's important to have your shipmates like you have, but 
understanding that you're capable of helping get yourself out of things too is really important. So, and the hard part is when you know that you're out there working and you know, the coast guard's grounded because they, they can't even fly. Mm. You know, you're by yourself. Then it's yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, Bill, thanks for being on the show. I am grateful. You guys, be sure you check out Captain Bill. Find him on Twitter. Uh, be sure you check out the Discovery Channel's number one show, I think it is, uh, Des- Deadliest Catch. Of course it is. Yeah, of course it is, right? They got you on that show. So, And again, I'm, I'm just honored. Thanks for being on our show. And uh, I know that people will learn from you. And uh, Bill, I just wish you a uh, fair seas ahead, my friend. Thank you. Pleasure meeting you. Yeah, pleasure meeting you too. Be well. Bye-bye.